Welcome to this week's It's Much Better to Plagiarise in a Way That No One Knows Anything About It episode of Spin Cycle. <laughs> I can't with you. <laughs> or not. Uh, a, a butchered one for the Anna Karenina. Karenina. Karenina fans out there. A little bit of Tolstoy with um, a little bit of remixed Tolstoy. Yeah, a lot we'll, of that's happening lately. Yeah, which we'll be talking about in some detail later on. Because this is the show where we do try and make sense of the week's media goings-on, coming to you from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Always was, always will be. I'm Jess Lilly. And as is the revolving door that is the studio, we gain one, we lose one. (laughs) (laughs) Very excited to have aged Jono Najma Sambul back in the studio. How are you? It feels so good to be back. I feel like I've been gone for ages, but I haven't. No, it's it's just, just, but that's what it's like now when you leave the city we've been so kind of home based for so long <laughs> up in sydney the big smoke <laughs> it's like i went to another city mama <laughs> i traveled on a big ship you wouldn't believe what they had there mama <laughs> how were the ferries um i never went oh, oh what? what is the point i just go to chinatown which was the first oh, for yeah. me I'm usually an eastern suburbs type of person when I'm in Sydney. Sydney, Chinatown's great. Yeah, it was. It was Mm. sprawling. Yes. Yes, as opposed to the little laneway we get down here. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It's all a bit like, hmm, China... Yeah. China Lane. Yeah, but of course, um, Jess has also been to Sydney recently. I did. I went the week before. Yeah, I feel like there's something in the air where all of the Melbourne, Melbournians are hiking up to Sydney for some much needed kind of R&R. Well, it's like the Battle of the Arts Festivals. I know. All on at the same time. Yeah, and Sydney Film Festival's on at the moment as well. And there was the Biennale. Yeah. Oh, my God. So much to do. So little time. Sadly, though... We are missing one. Our um, buddy, our fine co-host, Charlie Lewis. Our has, comrade. He's down, finally been felled by the COVID. I know, poor thing. Poor I remember thing. When, it wasn't long ago when I got it in November <laughs> before everybody ever had it and I was calling from my strict quarantine. That's right. You were an early adopter. I know. Always <laughs> me want to make the... <laughs> Want to make a scene? I, on the other hand, are the last. Is uh, I am the last woman standing. I have no idea how that's happened, but I'm sure yeah. it will happen. So I will get it soon. But back to uh, Anna Karenina. Oh, you got it there. Thank you. In about 15 minutes, we'll be talking to Saturday Paper Arts editor Alison Krogan about the remarkable and still unfolding story. Uh, of the, until last week, Miles Franklin Longlist Contender, The Dogs, a book by novelist John Hughes, which has now been revealed to have uh, swathes of copy borrowed from other sources. Borrowed is probably a nice way to say it. Yeah, an estimation <clears throat> of something like 62 instances of plagiarism. From just one source. Um, and yeah. then there's um, those obscure, unknown other books like The Great Gatsby. Yes, of course. <laughs> never one to know what that one is. <laughs> I have never heard of one F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, so I'm quite baffled about the whole thing and um, there's so many threads to pull out there. So I can't wait to hear what Alison has to say about that. Um, firstly, uh, last week we were complaining of a slow news week, but things seem to be... Um, 
fizzing up again in um, in the local news scene. And there's been a couple of stories uh, that have taken Australia international and um, often it's, well, in, especially with the, with our political scene in the last 10 years, whenever we go international, it's not such a good, there hasn't been such oh a great God. thing. Oh, my God, I forgot about ScoMo <laughs> Macron. Mm. Uh, and one of these, mm, similar, not so great, and then the other was a bit joyous. But we'll start with the... Um, the, the not so great one. I'm kind of I'm, I'm sort of already moved on from it. Such is the the news cycle. It was the big story on the weekend uh, when uh, on Saturday, um, the Sydney Morning Herald published a very salty piece by Sydney gossip columnist Andrew Hornery, getting all riled up because actor Rebel Wilson beat him to his own scoop. So he thought when she posted details of her new same sex relationship to Instagram. And uh, I think everyone is kind of across what happened next over the next uh, few days, as even um, editor Bevan Shields stumbled into the fray, resulting in an angry clapback, not just online, but from international media. <laughs> it went I is f- blocked by Bevan. <laughs> Not me. I'm one of the few that isn't blocked by me. Maybe it's Charlie. Possibly. (laughs) I reckon that's probably about right. (laughs) Even Whoopi Goldberg got in on it, pointing out. I thought you were going to say even Whoopi Goldberg is blocked blocked by by Bevan Shields. She probably is now, actually, given that she she had an opinion about it all. (laughs) Slapping my knee. Anyways, continue. I'm so uh, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, I think the point was made that in the year of 2022, we no longer um, out people in uh, the media. Yeah. You know, a swathe of obviously recriminating pieces ensued. And this was one of those things that clearly um, a, a line was crossed in the first instance, but then it just became its own sort of self-fulfilling kind of mm-hmm. news story, didn't it? Like everyone got in on it, I saw. Yeah. What was your initial like kind of reaction to it? I read the piece without realising anything, read the read um, Hornery's piece, and that was my first reaction. I think I was just like, wow, this is, um, you know, there was it was just so full of attitude and so salty. That's, that's what I thought. Mm. Um, you know, it opened basically by saying, um, you know, love is love and we don't out people anymore, but, you know, the world is not a happy the, – the world is not the way that it always should be and tough luck and this is what, you yeah. know, blah, 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 blah. And also I think something along the lines of, like, um, homosexuality is so accepted now that people shouldn't feel they need to hide their same-sex relationships, yeah, it was, which it, is pretty interesting for somebody who is gay themselves to say that. Um, well, I thought there was a yeah. little bit of, you know, I mean, biphobia is a strong word, but it was sort of basically saying, you know – when it was sort of say if you know uh, uh, that she had very happily plastered her hot boyfriend uh, yep, yep. all over the social media, so why would she care if they reveal um, details of her next relationship? And yeah. you know, if, if it was another guy, they would have done the same thing. And it's kind of like mm, missing the point a little bit there because yeah. you know it is obviously it, w- it would have been outing her if um, well, like I say, if is done that it. is some crazy assumptions. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think the way they handled it obviously was all a bit um, – it was all a bit sort of topsy-turvy and, I mean, ultimately the piece was was pulled down and um, replaced um, <laughs> with a grovelling apology – not grovelling, but a, a piece in which Hornery claimed to have made mistakes and learned from them. <laughs> but but then- you know what it just reminds me of as well is, like, the thing about, like, Australian media getting um, international attention, it reminds me of, like, back in the day I remember so many um, – 
Hollywood celebrities would come out to Australia and be like, oh my God, you're a paparazzi and your media are too much. Like, they would complain. <laughs> really? Yeah. Didn't you That's remember so that? Nice. Every single one of them used to be like, your media's way too much. Oh, like, I find that bizarre. Because really? I that thought was in, in Hollywood thing. the paparazzi was... No, it was a big thing. Oh, Australian I guess celebrities pats. just can kind of walk around overseas. No, whereas not, big... no, they specifically said that Australian media and perhaps was so relentless oh, that's interesting. and unfair that ah. they really – I remember Paris even Paris Hilton said it. Um, Tom Cruise is notoriously um, critical of Australian press. There is like a, a long list. So if well, you do look back at it, um, you will get those things that, that um, they've said on the record. Well, this – I mean, this sort of seems to probably fall then within that long – that heritage because <laughs> whilst <laughs> Andrew Hornery was publicly saying, you know, I've learned a lot and I've made mistakes. He was telling his Instagram followers, ignore the vitriol, um, which he attributed to nutters barking at shadows, demanding to be heard. It's crazy. Which is quite a nice line, actually. (laughs) In another context. Yeah. I find it interesting that, like, any kind of backlash on Twitter is now seemingly quickly shut down. Yeah. It's just a vocal minority when, in fact, it's pretty engaged audience. And... Well, I mean, that's where people discuss things right. now, you know. Yeah. It's it's another social media platform that, you know, whether it's um, it's um it might not be as widely used as um, sort of Facebook or TikTok, but okay. at the same time, the way it's used is pretty much for conversations like that by a huge um, cross-section of Australian yeah. um, society. And so it, it's legit, you know, and especially when it was taken up by international media as well. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of, there was a whole lot of you know, hand wringing afterwards about, yeah. you know, the, the Sydney Morning Morning Herald, and there were you know leaked emails from staff and all that sort of thing. And I and I guess it's just, um, yeah. you know, Bevan Shields is, is sort of still having a little bit of a bumpy ride as yeah. as editor. Yeah, and it's also good to add as well that the um, I guess the international media and the conversation had on the view about it. I don't think it was too much. They framed it from um, the perspective of celebrities owning their narrative. Yes. And they include they took it from that angle because I think, you know, what was done is probably just another day in the US. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of used oh, to really well, TMZ. Yeah, yeah, TMZ got people's faces. They break really sensitive news about yeah. people, and I think that um, yeah, I think they needed to frame it in this wider angle because I'm sure the producers would have been like, "Wait, we do the same thing, if not yeah. worse." <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think it wouldn't have it would have barely rated a mention yeah, if it if it weren't for that real the tone and the and the sort of. The the sense in the piece was, you know, or I think he even said we got gazumped, you know. I don't think international media were particularly picking it up because of that response. I think it's because of Rebel Wilson being a huge, a celebrity, yeah, a mega celebrity. It was a way for them to talk about it as well without seeming like they were and it was really, being salacious. And it was big news too. A lot of people were like, oh, wow, that's news mm. to me. I didn't know that Rebel Wilson um, is queer. So yeah. I think a lot of people, and it's Pride Month, so I guess a lot of people were commenting, celebrating, and, you know, hopefully um, that's an awful way to have to, well, that's the you point. know, own that. Um, Narrative. Yeah. Which own is, your story. Yeah, well, the, that's really, the point, isn't it? I would couldn't you, imagine how distressing that would be. Yeah. Would she have... Would she have um, yeah. Would she have made it public and were everybody. it not for that piece? Right, and I feel like I don't know that everybody's afforded privacy, especially with something like that. So, it's a well, shame. it's just it shouldn't be news anymore, hey? Yeah. But there was 
someone else who yes. made up for it. Oh my god, the Socceroos win and Tony Armstrong just absolutely so embodying all of us. <laughs> like I love that. Like just to see him in his joy. So tell us what happened. So yeah, this is four o'clock in the morning, Fed Square, Tony Armstrong from the ABC is reporting on the Socceroos game against Peru to qualify for the Qatar World Cup that's happening at the end of the year. And, you know, just as the penalty is saved by um, the Socceroos goalie, sorry, I don't know his Red name. Redmayne. <laughs> um, he just goes, the crowd goes wild. And you know what he does? He joins them, like, yeah. straight out, like, any kind of... S- normal person would like yeah. let's be honest like it was such a great moment to see and he's jumping up and down the crowd's going crazy and then one of the people nicked the scarf around his neck that <laughs> is the one that his mum made him my scarf, my and scarf. he went and got it back in the crowd he got that shit back <laughs> do you know i think you couldn't you it didn't it doesn't matter how hard you tried you could not choreograph that whole scene more beautifully yeah i watched it so many times and i'm like this is poetry you know it's joy yeah. as even as the way people are crossing in and yeah. out of screen the yeah. way tony was sort of trying to give his microphone to people to to make a comment but everyone could only scream exactly the only thing people put put that in rising next week hang hang, hang them from the (laughs) roof of the ngv um and you know someone comes and kisses the camera but they all managed to do it in a beautifully choreographed crazy way it was just amazing it was joyful and wonderful and it made international news i think al jazeera picked it up they did um, yes which was like so amazing and i just think like I feel like this winter is going to be long and it's going to be tough and I think that piece of news will get a lot of people through. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts and via the app. Uh, now, Alison Krogan is an award-winning novelist, poet, theatre writer, critic and arts editor with the Saturday paper. This morning she tweeted that scandal is the only time the arts hits the front pages and here we are. <laughs> Welcome- <laughs> welcoming Alison to Spin Cycle for one such event. Um, now, I can't... I'm going to do a very compressed timeline because it's a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. But a week ago, a novel by John Hughes called The Dogs was removed from the Miles Franklin long list after a Guardian in Australia investigation uncovered 58 similarities of identical text between parts of the novel and the 2017 English translation of Nobel laureate Svetlana Alexievich's non-fiction work The Unwomanly Face of War. This week, we can add passages of the Great Gap from The Great Gatsby, Anna Karenina and All Quiet on the Western Front to texts that appear to have been copied in large chunks um, in, the te- in the text of the book. Uh, today, The Guardian published an extraordinary e- explanation from Hughes and Alison, that's where we're going to bring you in because we are quite uh, bamboozled <laughs> by the whole thing. Okay, yes. Well, I don't know a single writer who isn't bamboozled, really. It's um, it's a very um, complicated thing because it's definitely plagiarism. and mm. But he's using a... Um, at the same time, you know, often there's, there's this idea of writerly originality that is a kind of inheritance from 
the romantic idea of the genius who, you know, kind mm. of cogitates alone in the clouds and, you know, creates works of enormous genius from, you know, inside their skull and it's all very solitary, which is not how art-making works. So every writer who's, you know, doesn't subscribe to that idea of solitary genius knows that their work exists in context of all sorts of other literary works and that's incredibly complicated. And this is the kind of thing that John Hughes is saying about his work and it's um, that he has absorbed these things and brought them into his text. The thing that's bizarre and that... Um, kind of doesn't make sense is that he doesn't remember mm. or says that he hasn't remembered doing it and didn't realize that this was the case so um yeah it's like wow okay well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and he see he's changed his story a couple of times mm. when the first allegations came out it was oh i had no idea and i mixed them up in my memory because of my method of writing and now he's claiming a kind of modernist tradition of bricolage and quotation as the reason why that work is there and he's not a plagiarist so yeah Alison Najima here thanks so much for coming on tonight I think the thing I'm very interested to ask you you know you're an author how easy is it to plagiarize someone else's work (laughs) Yeah. Especially, I just want to actually, before you answer that, I would just want to read out um, one such passage that really made me go, how do you not remember that? Um, so this is an excerpt from um, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm. Carried off with his back torn open, you can see the lung throbbing through the wound with every breath he takes. So now this part I'm going about, about to read out is from the dogs. She saw a man carried off with his back torn open, the lung throbbing through the wound. That is a very yeah. specific image. And I don't think yeah. I would forget that if I was reading and then I decided to write that. That how... Yeah. Yeah, go yeah, on. I, I agree. I mean, it doesn't make um, psychological sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like... I, as a writer, I've often referenced other writers and other works and, you know, taken, like, the form of things. Often in poetry, I, I might have taken the form of a poem and used that form to mm. kind of spin it or uh, do something else with it. And that's just the part of the play mm. of writing and it's kind of fun and it's fun for readers who then pick that up and know that's part of the echoes in the text and and so on and so forth but I just I suppose one of the things I was thinking was you know when you write something out it kind of imprints it in the memory as well like but um (laughs) I'm just floored um, by it because it's just, I can't, I know some listeners might be thinking like what extent is it, you know, maybe that bit I read out doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal, but this is like similarities of like 58 times. That's specifically with one one book. book. And then you just continually have this. It's quite shocking. Like I came into the studio today just absolutely, my jaw could not be (laughs) picked up from the floor because I'm thinking... Why the fuck would you do this? 
I know. It makes it, 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 it's also how exact those yeah. quotations are. There, there's many of them, I and think... um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's many ways to think about it. I mean, there are people like Kathy Acker springs to mind. You know, who who made a whole art format of plagiarising other works, mm. but she was absolutely upfront about mm. it. Yes, is. You know, she wrote a book called Great Expectations <laughs> and, <laughs> and another one called Don Quixote. And, and, and this was what she was doing. She was writing out texts from other people, but she was also, you know, doing stuff with it. But that's what she was doing. And she made no attempt to conceal that's exactly what she was doing. And I'm, I'm not even sure if he's concealed it. Well, that's but, the thing that but, I'm... I'm... You know, I'm trying to get my, wrap my head around because to your point earlier, Alison, you did say that he's changed his story a couple of times. Yeah. And today's um, piece that he wrote, his explanation in um, The Guardian was kind of full of chutzpah and sort of felt like a bit of like yeah. a, a bit of a ha-ha, you know, um, you know, this is this was all very intentional, and this is my artistic process. And you know, there are a lot of people that will say that you know, art and creativity doesn't exist in a vacuum, and it is a conversation between people, and you do bounce back and forth. And a lot of people, a lot of authors, have responded with a bit of a ah, oh, therefore there, but for the grace of God, go I. I mean, it's my biggest fear that I will, um, you know, um, have something published, yeah. and someone will be like, hang on a minute, that's so close to X or Y. Um, yeah. And of course, homage is a huge thing in the style. You do, of course, you know, when you do love um, sort of works of fiction or if you're a writer, you take on bits and pieces um, and they sit with you and you and they might grow and develop. That's why it's yeah. so hard to understand. Like, where do you draw the line or is there a line or is this the murky territory we're in with someone who's been quite sort of unapologetic about it? Um, well... Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of interesting because in those sort of he he quotes Eliot, you know, yes. Greek writers steal, etc. But the big hole in that is, of course, when Eliot wrote the Wasteland, which is you know full of bits from Shakespeare and Chaucer and so on. He was perfectly conscious of what he was doing with those texts that he interpolated into his own text, and he also, you know. The wasteland was notorious because it had footnotes. Everyone was scandalised because you mm-hmm. pointed out where, where all these works had come from that he, you know, he twisted or quoted or put in context where they'd be read differently. And so again, this kind of thing. Another one is Walter Benjamin, who used fragments and quotations and all sorts of things. And um, so there's a whole tradition of people. Doing using other people's works in in ways to repurpose them, and the, a point I made this morning was that in a way, all art making is this kind of repurposing of all mm. sorts of things that go into a mix. And every writer has a different process. Is the other thing. I mean, I can't pretend to know what his process is, but it is a bit mysterious. Well, apparently, but, he um, doesn't keep anything, doesn't keep any records, doesn't keep any notes, doesn't keep any drafts. <laughs> Yeah, that was sort of what, the, what his piece today was saying. Yeah, but he, he can't claim that he's then doing this kind of bricolage if he's not aware that he's doing it. Mm. And yes. 
the, the other thing is that if you are half remembering something, you have those sub- subconscious echoes that do happen, you know, with writers. Um, but um, it's not exact. Mm. Yes. You know, and the, word and the for quotations word. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, too, too word for word. So, I, I mean, memory is a weird thing. And obviously, I actually, I, I confess I have not read his book, but I do know it's about memory. Mm. And um, and I, I was thinking also of times when I've gone through papers and found works that I've written and not been sure whether they were mine. Like, I, I, um, it's like a, well, it sounds like me, but I don't remember writing that. Yeah. Googling wow. to find out if I'd written it. Wow. <laughs> something, something that um, wasn't apparent but, to John. No. So, like, you know. Google it, man. But, but, <laughs> but it's it's still I still have problems buying it and yeah, yeah. and I I suppose what my question is is I you know like how a lot of writing I sometimes think is a, a process of hiding things from yourself and um, in order to be able to write something mm. there's there's all these tricks that writers play on themselves. Mm. Uh, I, so you know, maybe, maybe, but I just mm. can't quite buy it. Yeah. Mm. What I found um, particularly that, like, gay, I, at first today I didn't really have it too much of a strong opinion, but when I found out that um, that the book that had been um, plagiarised from the unwomanly face of War by yes. Svetlana yes. Alexevich um, was, you know, first person accounts of women, Russian women in World War Two and their horrific accounts yes. of war. Um, and then knowing that John Hughes had copied this passage about um, a woman describing um, a scene where a baby mm. had to be killed yes. in order for the rest of um, these people to survive because the baby's cries would have alerted, alerted the dogs. So that was the titular yeah. story for yeah. his book as yeah, well. Exactly. You know. And yeah. then... And then for him to then go and copy that verbatim, it felt incredibly invasive. It was so out of line and out of order yeah. that that really pissed me off because <laughs> that's somebody like – and especially because, you know, he said – then he said he got confused because he does come from a Ukrainian refugee background. I think his parent, his right. mother from his mother's side and he did say that a lot of the stories were similar that his mother had told him. But then saying he'd been that, making lots of notes and they got jumbled. Yeah, up. and they got jumbled. But I just think this is not a game, and this is where I think a lot of people kind of get put off with fiction sometimes, you know? And it mm. brings into a different kind of conversation around that that we won't have time for today. But it really is like. Yeah. Bloody hell, man. That is people's real lives. Well, you think of also the confidence that Svetlana must have gained with these women and the intimacy um, and the trust that you would have to build up to, in order to, um, yeah, to, to, to for someone to tell you a story like that, and then and the then trauma, it, the, the secondhand trauma, yeah. just from having to, you know, go through those stories and to approach them with such sensitivity, and of course, a well, you know, rightly deserve Nobel um, Prize for literature for that. First for a Belarusian, I believe it's pronounced Belarusian, Belarusian. Um, but I think, yeah, it was just kind of quite shocking, um, and she responded as well, and her translators know, did. Yeah, and she said that, um, you know, this is verbatim, Mm. like, copied from my work. 
Alison, yeah. I'm interested to ask you about that because before these more recent instances came up, I did read, I remember reading a piece in The Guardian where, where it said accidental plagiarism and it, it didn't say accidental plagiarism according to Hughes. I mean, it said accident. It, it was almost accepted that those instances in the first or in that first instance was accidental plagiarism. Do you think that we have a, that, that there is a, difficulty in accepting someone would, you know, someone who's got this far on the the long list for the Miles Franklin Award, which, you know, means that they have been read and accepted by a lot of incredible people within the industry, you know, incredibly, mm. you know, dedicated people, dedicated to furthering, um, you know, the, the literary cause in our country. Is there, is there a difficulty in, in accepting that, that people might wholesale just do this, just rip off other authors? Is that part of how people maybe get away with it? Well, I think part of it, I mean, because I think some of the um, difficulties here is that John Hughes can write. It's Mm. like, it's not like he can't write. And so... Mm. And he won a... Obviously, um... obviously why he he was published and... He's published by Micropress. I, I feel a lot for the publisher. At this Absolutely, point. and um, so and it is also murky. I, I, I know a lot of writers feel really kind of outraged that the process they have of intertextuality, of quotation, of kind of collective ownership of culture. I've, I've interesting. Quite a few original writers have commented on this. You know mm. that that there is this thing, this common pot we all draw from is has been kind of called upon as a as a way of justifying what looks like just straight out copying. And um so yeah, it, it it's difficult and it's hard and but I, I still can't get past yes, yeah, those um Alexevich quotes are so memorable. Yeah. Well that and, story, that I mean, central she, story. She, she, yeah, she she just writes stuff that just sears itself into your mind, and mm-hmm. and so um, so there's obviously some kind of if if we take him at face value that he didn't understand that his memory worked this way. Um, there's some kind of strange um, literary kleptomania or something mm. like mm. but you know i read this book therefore Mate, this book it is, is highway me. robbery i'm sorry i'm calling it for what it is it is highway robbery he got out of a car put a gun to multiple people's head it, allegedly, no. allegedly allegedly oh allegedly you went, well come on you weren't here for our defamation oh no. come at me for defamation i've got six <laughs> 58 similarities, mate. I'm doing the work. Truth defense. I I just feel like, well, you know, (laughs) what about all those um, instances where where there is genuine intertextuality, Mm. where people are doing that kind of playfulness, which is a totally legitimate way of writing. You know, Mm. William Burroughs did cut-ups. You know, there's, there's all this huge... I mean, it's not new. It's been going on, you know since the beginning of the 20th century. And so there's this other thing where suddenly are people going to be leapt on all the time because there's a phrase or something, you know, this is where but, a lot of eyebrows are going up. Like, mm, 
To your point, though, earlier, it's intent, isn't it, and being upfront about it and being, you know, being clear with the audience that that's what you're doing. I I think so, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just such a mess. Yeah, and I don't. I feel like as well. Like I think the response. Um, everybody deserves a right of reply. And John Hughes, mm. you know, he's a former New South Wales Premier Literary Award um, recipient. You know, he's accomplished mm. in that sense. And I think that he's a very capable writer, of course. But I think that that response was so weak, and I feel like it just it opens. Was inflammatory. Yeah, it was, and it opens up the doors for like so much other kind of bullshit. Like, come on, like I that's not there's fair. a lot of a lot of um, his previous works are being taken to with a fine tooth comb. But and and as um, uh, author. Um uh, Indigenous author Karen Wilde did mention today, to your point as well, Alison, she tweeted that, you know, we need to see more discussion on creative processes and who is permitted yes. who is permitted to appropriate, borrow, steal. You know, yeah. um, there is a conversation to be had around yes. that. It isn't cut and dry, and I think that's what's so confusing about this, you know. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, at, the, at the bottom... And this, again, is where I really feel for Terry Ann White, is that there's a question of trust, and it's yes. trust between the writer and the publisher and the writer and the reader. And, yes, you know, writers play all sorts of tricks, but but this wasn't presented as that kind of novel. No, and for, for listeners who aren't familiar with, um, so Terry White is the publisher and she started a very small indie um, uh, sort of um, imprint called Upswell during COVID, so last year even, I think it's that yeah, new. Very, very new. I think this is the third um, book and there's absolutely no um, inference at all that, you know, I'm sure she's just as um, shocked and, um, you know, this is all just news to her as well. But that in itself is really interesting because I think people assume, you know, when you say, oh, the publisher, everyone has this idea of big um, publishing houses and why don't they have checking processes and how come this something like this got through so many, you know, readers who who apparently, you know, read so widely but um but you know there could be implications again for for independent publishing from something like this too because you do have to have some trust surely in the author that what they're putting in front of you the manuscript script they're putting in front of you unless otherwise um uh notated is Mm. is original yeah i mean this or it's the work that they say it is and um, absolutely, you want your publisher to trust the writer and vice versa. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, there's all sorts of betrayals going on, but it's really hard to kind of say what they are. Mm. And I, I kind of have this feeling that it begins with the writer betraying himself mm. somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um uh, yeah, yeah. I so. feel there's this conversation. I came into the studio tonight with a lot of sympathy for John Hughes, and I've kind of completely. <laughs> Legit, you did. Yeah, I did. No, honestly, Jess is my witness, but I completely have like grabbed that, thrown it out the window. Um, <laughs> but the, thing, <laughs> the thing I want to ask you, Alison, that I'm kind of interested in. I know we can't speculate too much, but how do you think this story dropped on 
the lap of somebody at The Guardian. Like, how do these stories come about? Because I feel like it's very, like, detective work. It's, um, you know, do you reckon it was a tip-off? I reckon somebody just read the book and went, my God, that's just like Alexovich. Mm, yeah. And then other people started looking. Or like a disgruntled, um, I love these <laughs> little theories I have, a dis- arrival. I, I mean, maybe, but... Probably not, I no. think. Do you think this happens more than we know? Possibly. I mean... Because I'm going to go home I... tonight and be very, very sceptical <laughs> of the stuff that I'm reading at home. Like, I, I kid you not, like, I don't even trust Chekhov now. <laughs> no, you can trust Chekhov. <laughs> like, I'm going to start ref- I'm going to start comparing the kiss to <laughs> other great works. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> That's a Tinder story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what can you do, though? Because the fact is that it's impossible for someone to be so well-read that I think it's just, the, to me, the nerve of some of those um, public, those books. You know, The Great Gatsby is hardly an unread work of, you know. Yeah. But I guess you're not looking for that in, in, in this context. So it just... No. Mm. I mean, it's, it's just really unfortunate and... Yeah, you'd be reading the book with in good faith. Mm. I suppose that's part of the problem is that you'd be reading it in good faith and it just took someone who went, hmm, that reminds maybe they just read Alexovich or something and and nobody you know, very few people have photographic memories and and uh so you, I yeah, it's Well, I think that um I think that um, from memory, I'm just sort of looking up her name now, that um, the author, Anna, Anna Devi, I think it is, who wrote the um, original piece is, a, is an academic and I, I, am, I'm, I have a feeling, Anna Verney, sorry, my bad, Anna Verney, um, yeah. who, wrote, who wrote the original piece in The Guardian. I, I reckon you're right. I think, you know, perhaps that um, her own work... Um, in, as in an that academic. area, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's done a public service, hasn't she? Hats off to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's struck the fear of God into so many budding young writers <laughs> and established well, old blokes I, too. <laughs> I, I suppose part of what puzzles me is that when, you know, I'm thinking back to when I was a young writer and I copied everybody when I was yeah. a young writer. Mm. You know, I started very young and I just copied everybody and that's how I learned how to write or yeah. that's how I began to learn how to write. But I was always, always, um, it was, even when I was copying someone, I wanted it to be my work. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I, 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 <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the mystery, isn't it? Yeah, I can relate. Yeah. And he's a, he's, he's a t- teacher as well because I think that was the thing that I, that really stood out to me with the first revelations um, around um, the unwomanly face of war, that that mm. was a text that he had taught uh, yeah, his that, students. that struck me too. Mm. Oh, my God. I just get – I'm exhausted, man. Yeah. Like, well, seriously, yeah. like – John, what a doozy man! Like, oh my yeah. god! Like, it's just unbelievable. What it's do you? Just, sorry, just a disaster. 
It is a disaster. And what do you think? What do you think some of the implications are of this, Alison? You know, obviously he's been taken off the long list, but what are the repercussions of something like this? You know, within what is a relatively small and vulnerable literary community in Australia? Well, I think it does take a lot of emphasis away from the work that is amazing. Mm. I mean, there are a lot of other titles in the Miles Franklin list that are worthy of notice, and, and of course the whole thing's now overshadowed by this plagiarism scandal, and also because it this is the stuff that gets headlines that people think, oh, well, that's how culture works then. Mm because there's so little kind of mainstream discussion about how artists work and what art is and so on and so forth. And so, Does that you mean, know... Do you reckon we should gatekeep more then? <laughs> <laughs> Keep I, the mainstream out of it. Let the literary <laughs> folks you know, fight about it. I don't know. I think maybe if there was less gatekeeping, there would be less of this kind of stuff. Yeah, but who knows? I do go back to one of the the first things that you said. This um, this idea of this kind of um, genius, um, you know, the idea that everything has to be original, and there's such yeah. an argument within within the arts community that no, it doesn't. It it should be a bit of push and pull, and 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 a conversation, and a call and response. Um, well, it is that. Yes. actually. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the truth of art making. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us. I feel like... Um, I don't I, think this story is over. It's not, and we're definitely going to be talking about it after our break, but I definitely will say that because of this whole incident, I am now deeply inspired to go and read The Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Alexevich, and I think I'm going to thoroughly enjoy that. So yeah, thanks, I don't John. Know, I don't know... I don't know whether that enjoy is the word. Yeah. Oh, enjoy it in so a way of like incredibly traumatizing. Yeah, but but she's extraordinary. Yeah, I kind of love that stuff though. I feel bad saying that, <laughs> but um, yes, I will be reading. And and Alison, um, we do apologise that um, the scandal has brought you to us, but we we promise we'll we'd love to have you back again on Spin Cycle. <laughs> to, to, to talk about less scandalous arts um, practices and, and to talk about um, to talk about other very deserving stories, uh, art stories, and and there is so much to talk about in terms of um, the intersection between arts and the media as um, as we enter a new uh, a government that finally has an arts minister as well. So, please, and as your work yeah. proves as well as arts editor at the Saturday Paper. Yes, so please do join us again. It'd be a pleasure. <laughs> Words and music. Triple R. Uh, Tony Armstrong is the theme of the show. We're back. This one is not such a great story. Well, I mean, I felt for him, actually. Um, There's been – there's a lot of of people, obviously, um, like to criticise individual members of the media, and particularly I think a lot of women journalists. It it is true that a lot of women journalists, especially on TV, do cop a lot of negative feedback, and so I've never participated in any of that. However (laughs) – This weekend, or was it even on the weekend? Um, I don't know when it was, but all I know is I'm pissed. Yeah, I <laughs> I did see a clip that was making the rounds. Um, you know, Kyrgios playing at the Stuttgart Open, lost his shit a little bit and claimed that um, 
he was the recipient of a racist taunt by someone in the crowd, mm. um, which is awful. Yeah. Um, and and that is what on News Breakfast Tony Armstrong said. He said quite definitively, racism is never okay. This mm-hmm. was, you know, on the on the breakfast couch. To which Lisa Miller replied, well, racism is never okay, but... <laughs> yeah, it would have taught him, you know, it would teach him to focus on the game and, you know, get his head in the game. Honestly, when I saw that, I, I just was thought... mad. The, like, the cheek to sit there in the presence of two people who are non-white, who have been on the receiving end of some you know, ugly racism, um, both online, of course, in their real lives, no doubt about that, to sit there and tell and say that in their presence on TV is just so beyond insulting. Well, it was incredibly dismissive. She'd, she was already trying to formulate, you could just see that she was already form- formulating her kind of, her sentence before um, Tony continue Armstrong. To, continue to still go. <clears throat> yeah. Even despite seeing the discomfort of her co-hosts was just something that um, should be, for sure taught in many a media course, many a general workplace safety issue course. I think it was so abhorrent that that could happen, um, you know, at the ABC. Well, to justify, so for, for, so the, 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 her, I think her point was generally that Kyrgios should be taken down a peg. To justify racist taunts because you personally think that a... This would be good. That it, it'll be a learning moment for them is there's just so much, so much history around why that is... Absolutely not okay, and I think, you know, she the the she, the response was, um, as you would imagine, um, incredibly sort of. You know what I don't understand, and the thing that really makes me quite annoyed is that for something like that, that's so offensive that you're not taken off air. But exactly. Somebody like Fozia Ibrahim yes. is taken off air for what? I was about to say that she was Lisa Miller. The response was pretty, was as it should be, was um, loud and, um, you know, it, it was not okay. And she backed that up with a with an on-air apology the next day. And I felt like that in itself is... You know, she got more airtime. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's the ABC's, you know, you can't have an announcer justify racism towards a public figure doing their job by a spectator. It's just so humiliating. It's just like, like, I feel like, and a lot of people were like, well, now she's apologised, everyone can get over it. But the thing is, like, people don't get over racism. People walk out of of their house every single day being vilified. How dare you? And I just think that people really try and minimise the effect of racism. Scientists have proved that racism... <laughs> kills. Mm. Like, this is not just something that, you know, it, it literally kills everywhere, both by perpetrators, but it does reduce your life expectancy. And I just think it's just the way that that was handled. There should have been more. And I think, um, you know, the ABC have come out, um, their director came out today and spoke, director of news, Justin Stevens, spoke about, um, he sent out an apology to their um to the staff um, who were First Nations and, um, you know, that word culturally and diverse oh. and whatever. But the point C-A-L-D. of it was... C-A-L-D. Yeah. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, p- 
point of it really was that, you know, they acknowledge the racism that's happening, institutional racism and the incidences that's happening at the ABC and it happens elsewhere. Mm. Um, um, and I think that, you know, that that's a good step. I don't know if it was in light of this, to be honest, but, mm. um, yeah, it's a step forward. But I think, you know, come on. I think that that should have been a real moment to there show some, some real dis- disciplinary dis- action. A hundred percent, no, no doubt in my mind. Hundred percent. And to your point, when the most recent um, there was all the anger anger around um, Fazia Ibrahim for making two lists on on Twitter, yeah, um, and she did get taken off air, and there was a um, a process of you know um, what do you call it whatever, review process, yeah. how this did not sort of meet the same kind of standard, it, it's hard to understand, you know, where's, yeah. there, where's the transparency okay. there? Yeah, I know. It just it, it makes the mind boggle, doesn't it? But at the same time, I think, like, it's really important in these moments where people really sit back and really listen to the people who are, you know, facing racism every single day. And, you know, you have people all the time saying, get over it, you know, build a bridge, someone's apologised. But it's not that simple when it happens every single day of your life. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sample, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.